How's everyone going? Oop, wrong way. There are 7 billion people in the world and 1 billion live under the poverty line of $1.25 a day. Moving the poverty line to $2 a day, 2 billion people. So 2 out of every 7 human beings lives under it. About 1.5 million people every year die of easily preventable diarrheal diseases and that's largely attributable to the fact that about 750 million people, that is a population roughly the size of Europe, has no access to clean drinking water. Uh, every year there are about 200 million infections of malaria uh, and that causes uh, roughly half a million deaths, mostly small children uh, somewhere in Africa. Meanwhile, factory farming affects uh, millions of animals worldwide. Uh, in Australia alone, 500 million battery hens are killed every year. And we also face other kinds of challenges, uh, catastrophic climate change, global pandemic, superintelligence explosion. <laughs> so the question is, in the face of all of this suffering, in the face of all this uncertainty, how can we start to make headway? Now, uh, international aid and development certainly have their critics, but I think it's important that we remember that there are a lot of success stories out there. So for example, uh, infant and maternal mortality has halved since 1990. In that same time period, the number of people living in extreme poverty has also halved. Uh, we have diseases like guinea worm uh, and polio, which are about to join smallpox on the pantheon of diseases the humans have managed to completely eradicate. So uh, I think we need to, to remember that change is possible. Now, we're all here because we want to make the world a better place. And I think it's worth us remembering uh, that this is not a unique instinct to us. Uh, for, for many hundreds of years, thousands of people have spent millions of dollars trying to improve the lot of those who are less fortunate than them themselves. And I think that uh, all of us here in the developed world recognise that we do have an amazing opportunity. We can use our relative wealth to uh, do things that, uh, that many others can't. Some would even say that we have an obligation to do so. But this raises two very significant questions, two significant challenges. First of all, what does it mean to do good? So that is, uh, are some ways of doing good uh, better than others? And I'm sure that those of you who uh, have been here for the rest of the presentations uh, know that probably that's the case. Uh, but also, can we be content just doing good, or do we want to do the most good that we possibly can? Now, the second challenge is how do we keep doing good? It's all well and good to uh, understand what the, the cause areas are and be able to prioritise them. But how do we actually do good, and how do we keep doing good now and into the future? Now, these are difficult questions to ask, uh, to answer, but I think that if we combine the empathy that's in our hearts with a clear head, that there is a way forward. So what can we do? Uh, we're here in this room because we want to do something concrete. We don't just want to answer these, uh, these questions in the abstract. I work for an organisation called Giving What We Can. Now, Giving What We Can asks our members to pledge 10% of their income to the causes that they think are going to do the most good in the world. We help them out by looking for those causes and recommending charities that we think do an amazing job. And we help our members stick to their pledge now and into the future. Since we started, we've got nearly 1,200 members. Collectively, we've pledged over $460 million to effective charity over the course of our lifetimes. And $8 million has already been donated. And the thing is, because the charities that we're uh, talking about are many times more effective than the global average, that, uh, the effect of that is multiplied many times over. In short, we want to do good 
sorry, we don't just want to do good, we want to do the most good that we possibly can. So today I want to talk about these two challenges, uh, that of what it means to do good and that of how we keep doing good. So what does it mean to make the world a better place? Now, I think we all uh, have an instinct that we want to, to improve things. Uh, and on the face of it, there are lots of things that could, in fact, improve the world. Uh, you could just give some money to uh, someone who's collecting on a street corner. Uh, someone calls you up on the phone and says, we've got this great charitable opportunity and you might take it. But I think if we're prepared to take this idea seriously, the idea that uh, if all people are equal, all people in the world are equally deserving of living happy, safe, comfortable, flourishing lives, then why would, I, why would we limit ourselves to the cause areas that first came into our field of view? Why would we stop at the first thing that we found? Now, in, in a really simplified example, in a world where you had $100 to give to charity and you, you knew that there was one charity that could treat an illness or cure a disease uh, for, for one person, that is, you know, the, the cost of that intervention was $100, uh, or, or the cost was 50 cents and you could treat 200 people, well, it would be no, no question. You'd, uh, you'd know what uh, charity to, uh, to prefer in that instance. But it's strange. We, we seem to be able to make clear statements of preference when we're talking about things like TV shows or phones. Uh, this restaurant's better than that one. This car's better than that one. All kinds of consumer products, we feel very comfortable about saying one is better than the other. But the, the question is, why don't we do this for charities? Now, if you were going out there and you were going to buy a phone, you wouldn't just, uh, you know, you wouldn't just, uh, the one with the, the uh, most glitzy advertising campaign or the first one that was uh, pressed into your hand by a salesperson. You'd go online, you'd look some reviews, you'd ask people that you trusted. In, in short, you'd do some research. You'd ask yourself, does this product do what I want it to do? So the question is, why don't we do this for charity? And the thing is, we do have to make a choice. We don't have infinite money. So when you choose one particular charity, you're implicitly excluding all the other charities from that donation. Uh, in economics, this is sometimes called opportunity cost. It's basically the cost that you incur when you choose one option over another. So we do have to make that choice. The question is, how do we do it? Now, uh, when I was a teenager, I used to you know, ask my, my dad about this stuff and, and say, like, I think it's really important that we give to charity. And he used to be quite cynical. He used to live and work in Africa, uh, in Kenya. And he used to tell me this story about an NGO that came to a local village and uh, they had this shiny new tractor paid for by, by donations. And uh, the, the tractor was going to be great. It was going to save many hours of manual labour working in the fields, make people more productive. But of course, I'm sure you know how the story ends. Uh, the, the tractor immediately broke down. There was no after-sales service, no spare parts. And very soon the tractor uh, was sitting there rusting in a field all of the money that had been donated on it was wasted. Uh, yet again, I've used the example of play pumps, uh, which I'm sure now you all know. Uh, and if you read uh, the, uh, the book that was uh, recommended at the end of Neil's talk, Doing Good Better, you'll also see this example. Uh, but again, it's, it's a, a fantastic example because even though, on the face of it, the story of play equipment for children, plus fresh water for a village, plus it's sustainable because it's paid for by advertising on the, the, uh, the water tank stands, uh, it tells this incredibly compelling narrative. Uh, it tells us that we, uh, we should want to support it. But of course, as you uh, all know, uh, play pumps was a, a failure because people weren't looking at the, uh, the data that actually was there on the ground. They were just focusing on the narrative. 
And what's particularly compelling about this story, and I think the reason that we bring it up as an example quite often in these kind of contexts, is that it tells us that our intuitions are fallible. We can't rely on them when we're making decisions about what things are better than others. So that leads to an obvious question, how do we compare charities? So uh, Giving What We Can recommends four different charities uh, and uh, we rely quite heavily on uh, the work of an organisation called GiveWell, um, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Uh, and basically we, we get there by asking uh, a few simple questions. And I think uh, I'd like to encourage everyone here to, when you're thinking about charities and thinking about causes that you might donate money to, ask the same questions of that charity. See if it stacks up. So the first thing that we uh, are interested in is effectiveness. So essentially, does the charity do what it says it's going to do? And we actually have to look further than that. We don't just uh, care about how many bed nets or how many parcels of food or how many textbooks the charity actually donated. We have to look at those interventions and say, what does it mean to distribute bed nets? How good is that intervention? Now, once we know whether the charity is, is effective in the abstract, we need to look at comparative effectiveness. So uh, this is prioritising between different causes because, uh, as you know, uh, and as uh, Neil uh, really uh, evocatively demonstrated, many charities uh, seem very good in the abstract, but when we compare them with others, they don't necessarily stack up. So uh, on the, the question of school attendance, uh, do we distribute textbooks uh, or do we uh, build a new school building? Uh, what if the money that we spent on that was instead spent uh, in somewhere that, that might be counterintuitive on a healthcare intervention that, uh, in actual fact, uh, got uh, children to attend school more regularly uh, and so, uh, uh, due to fewer absences, they had a better education and, and ultimately uh, had better life outcomes. Now, uh, we've, we've sort of talked about this a little bit. Uh, the disability-adjusted life year is one way that, at least within the healthcare space, we can uh, have some reasonable comparisons of, of charities. So uh, it's uh, basically a measure of, in some ways it's a measure of how bad it is to have a disease because uh, you wait uh, a year of healthy life uh, by a particular uh, morbidity. And so uh, what that means is you can compare, uh, say, uh, how bad it is to uh, lose uh, one year of life at full health uh, or equally two years of life at half health. Now, it's an imperfect metric. It's something that doesn't take into account uh, all the relevant considerations. People are working on uh, newer measures, uh, the quality adjusted life year and others. But at least it gives us a, a starting point. At least it gives us a way to, to hone in uh, on some of the relevant considerations for choosing between at least healthcare charities. Now, one question that we have to ask as well is, does the charity have room for more funding? So. We've identified that a cause is really effective. It's, it's effective compared to all the, uh, the competitors. But given what other people are doing, given where other people are donating, does this charity have extra room for more funding? Will your donation do extra good? So take the example of vaccinations. Uh, vaccinations are an incredibly uh, cost-effective health intervention. Uh, I, I think I've read one statistic that suggested that eradicating smallpox like it worked out to something like $5 a daily. Uh, and that's an incredibly cheap uh, in, in comparison to many other interventions that are out there. But the thing is, at the moment, the Global Alliance for Vaccines is fully funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And so even though that represents an incredibly cost-effective intervention, it doesn't necessarily represent the most effective intervention that you as a donor could do at this particular point in time. So the, the point with this question is, what are other people doing? Uh, finally, accountability. So this is basically, does the charity, uh, you know, how transparent are they? 
uh, how proactively do they disclose things like uh, their activities and their finances. Essentially, the accountability of, of a charity influences how confident that we can be in our recommendation of them. Now, these, these are huge grey areas. Should we prefer a charity that has a very definite outcome that affects a small number of people now? Should we try something like a political campaign, which is speculative, has a small chance of success, but potentially affects many, many more people uh, in the long run? There's not a really good answer for this. And because of this uncertainty, though, I think a lot of people are tempted to ask this question, well, you know, throw your hands up in the air. How can you possibly make a good call? I think that we have to become comfortable with uncertainty in this kind of context. It's, uh, it's true that we, we can't, uh, at, the, at the tail end, we can't necessarily make really clear judgments uh, between uh, those really uh, high-performing causes. But I think it's a hell of a lot less uncertain than uh, to, to take a small number of causes that we plausibly believe are among the best in the world, rather than trying to choose from every single cause that's possibly out there. Now, I think one thing that I really want to stress is that people who are not already thinking like this, they're, they're people that we shouldn't uh, think to, to demonise or, or think, that, uh, think less of them. Many people are trying to make the world a better place, and, and I think that instinct should be applauded. I think that's actually really fundamental to how uh, people do good in the world. It, it motivates many people to, uh, to look for these kinds of opportunities. But I do think that where people aren't asking these questions and where people aren't uh, going the extra mile to find the causes that do the most good, they're missing a, an incredible opportunity. Uh, and so I think it's important that we, we talk about these ideas because uh, we want to give as many people as we can the opportunity to do the most good. So I'll just quickly run you through uh, the charities that we currently recommend. Uh, so we've uh, first of all got uh, the Against Malaria Foundation. Um, you may have heard of, uh, of some of these. The Against Malaria Foundation distributes insecticide-treated bed nets. So basically uh, that covers a couple of uh, sleeping people. And not only does it uh, provide a physical barrier between a, a mosquito, mosquito which is carrying the malarial parasite uh, and the sleeping person, but because it's covered with insecticide, the mosquito dies and then doesn't go on to infect another person. And in fact, this is one of the most rigorously tested interventions in global health. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's actually, it's one of the most cost effective. And in fact, the Against Malaria Foundation can distribute a bed net for something in the order of $5. Uh, we talk about the Schistosomiasis Control Initiative, which I'll probably abbreviate to SCI to avoid having to say Schistosomiasis all the time. Uh, but uh, SCI distribute, uh, they basically do mass drug administrations at school. Uh, they distribute a tablet called Prezoquantel, uh, and it's, it's really safe, no side effects. Uh, they they uh, deworm a whole school, and basically this gets rid of Schistosoma, which is a, um, a parasite that uh, can live in your gut. Uh, you might see in pictures of people with really distended abdomens. Uh, basically, yeah, as the, the worms breed, they cause lots of uh, intestinal problems uh, and it really shortens people's lives through uh, renal failure or liver failure. So it's quite a horrible disease, but for $2 a year, uh, you can basically eradicate the para parasite from an area and people have much happy happier and healthier lives. Project Healthy Children uh, is a charity and basically what they do is they put advisors into various governments and they work with food companies in developing uh, countries uh, and they uh, try and fortify the food with things like iodine, with iron, magnesium. So these are essential trace elements that we need in our diets uh, in order that we can, we can grow healthy and strong. And having uh, uh, micronutrient deficiency can do things like uh, give you a uh, yeah, growth defects uh, or just stunt your growth and also actually cause uh, mental uh, and uh, other kinds of physical uh, disabilities. So uh, being able to, um, 
to mitigate that is, is incredibly uh, cost effective. And in fact, it works out to something like five cents a year per person. And so it's in, in, like that's yeah incredibly cheap to deliver an intervention uh, like this. Uh, and finally, Deworm the World Initiative, uh, which is uh, one of our promising charities, and they do something similar to SCI. They distribute deworming tablets, uh, basically clear out uh, what are called soil transmitted helmets. And uh, these worms uh, cause, they're, they're not uh, like really terrible uh, to have, but there's a lot of data that supports, uh, or there's an association between deworming children at school and outcomes in later life. So uh, there, are, there are studies showing that that's correlated with uh, higher wages and, and things like that in later life. And the treatment's seriously cheap. It's 50 cents per person per year. Now, one thing you might ask, uh, given all of those uh, particular charities and given that today we're talking about a whole range of different causes, is why we're focusing on global poverty. Now, our pledge itself is actually cause neutral. Uh, we don't ask our members to donate to our recommended charity specifically. We ask them to donate to the causes that they think are going to have the biggest impact. But global poverty is an area that we keep coming back to because we've evaluated a whole range of different cause areas and a whole range of different interventions. Global poverty is one where we have really good data uh, where we can sort of say, yep, this intervention actually works. And because uh, some of this stuff is just really neglected, there are really great opportunities for very low cost. So uh, we can confidently say that our charities, we think that they're doing a, a, a like, a, uh, I wouldn't say guaranteed, but uh, we, we can confidently say that they are doing good. Now, uh, there might be other charities that you, you think are important. Uh, if you're into, uh, you know, for example, uh, preventing animal suffering, uh, then uh, animal charity evaluators who are a, sort of an associated organisation of ours uh, might be a good place to look for some recommendations, uh, even if you've taken our pledge. Now, so far I've talked quite a lot about what it means to do good, the idea of uh, what doing good actually looks like, but of course that's only half the battle. Just as important is doing good and continuing to do good. Now, I think we all know, uh, you know, <laughs> this sort of thing. Uh, when you're in January, you've just passed New Year, you set yourself a whole bunch of New Year's resolutions, you think, yeah, this year, definitely this year I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to keep them all. Of course, by February, the vast majority of us have broken them. Now, that's not because we wanted to break them, it's not because we changed our minds, it's just that life got in the way. It's hard to make a new commitment and stick to it. And so uh, I think it's, it's important that we recognise this about ourselves. Giving what we can helps because we're a, a large, friendly, supportive community. We're all in this together. So it's not just your donation ranged against the world. It's your donation and it's my donation. It's everyone else's donation. And together we can really see the impact of that. We also help by showing you exactly how much good you can do. So $50,000 represents the, that's effectively the median income here in Australia. So 50,000 Australian dollars. If you're on 50,000 Australian dollars, you're in the top 3.5% of earners in the world. You're 22 times richer than someone on the global average wage. Now, if you were to take the pledge when you were just out of uni, $50,000 on average per year, you donated 10% of that, that works out to $200,000 over the course of your working life. With $200,000, you could distribute 124 treatments of prosequantol through the schistosomiasis control initiative, alleviating a whole lot of uh, suffering and disease. Or you could distribute 24,000 insecticide-treated bed nets through the Against Malaria Foundation. Now, on one calculation, that's saving 46 lives. Now, imagine how much of a hero you would uh, feel and, and how 
impactful that would be in your life if you had saved just one person, uh, pulling them out of a burning building or stopping them from drowning in a shallow pond. By thinking clearly, in effect, by thinking clearly about the effectiveness of the interventions that you choose, you actually have that opportunity, but you have it many times over. And starting now is easier. Uh, we, we show that uh, for our members, if you right now start donating uh, and you, you pledge 10% of your income, then you start to factor that into your future decisions. So rather than when you make the donation thinking, oh, no, I'm, I, I'm really strapped for cash, I, I don't have uh, the money, you've already factored it into your decision. You factored it in when you were uh, applying for a mortgage or uh, choosing a school for your kids. So starting now is easier and uh, it just becomes something that you do. And here's the thing, giving makes you happier. Now, it shouldn't be that surprising because the money that you donate, it's not money that you've lost. It's not money that you've just thrown into a pit somewhere. It's not money that you never had. It's money that you've chosen to spend on something that's really important to you. But by contrast to uh, material possessions, a uh, new computer, a new TV, we know that when we buy these, we get a small surge of happiness, and then the happiness drops back down to, uh, to where we were before we bought it. But what we find, and the psychological research bears this out, is that when you give, and give generously, your overall level of happiness actually increases. They say money can't buy happiness, but actually, maybe that's not true. So I'd urge you all to consider our pledge, and whether or not you actually decide to take it or not, I hope that you'll look at uh, some of the things I've talked about today, look at those questions, and take them seriously. And when you're considering the, a charity to donate to, that you can... Uh, to basically test whether it stacks up. By combining the empathy that's in our hearts, with a clear head, by giving what we can, we can all make a huge difference. Thank you. All right, um, it looks like we've got a little bit of time for questions. I can probably take a couple. Um, I am on a panel about global poverty tomorrow, I understand. So uh, maybe I'll just uh, confine the questions to uh, specifically uh, giving what we can or, or our process, if that's okay. Uh, so, yeah, we've got a question just up here. So can you stand up? Oh, just, uh, can you? <laughs> I just sort of I see a lot of similarities between um, effectiveness in terms of investments in the financial monetary sense. Um, and getting a good return for every dollar you put in. Um, also, in terms of when we talk about our climate change and carbon and um, you know, like this, uh, um, offsets and all that sort of thing, and how do you best put your dollars and also you know, kind of making a nice focus on this. Um, I guess it's good that you've got a platform where you can do the analysis and compare. I'm just wondering how important, I've got an economics background, um, providing market instruments or structures and allowing for competition, allowing for platforms where people can actually compete, put forward what they do, have independent measures, whether it's, um, and allow people to, just sort of like an Alibaba.com, but for charities or for um, offices or something, whether yeah. that's perhaps something you see as the next level in terms of what you're doing. Look, it, it, it's... If you could set something like that up, uh, it sounds like a plausible way of, of getting things to compete with each other. I think at the moment we don't have, uh, like, you know, charities don't need to compete. Uh, and you could argue that that's part of the reason that some charities are not effective because they, that there's no pressure for them to be more effective 
we're in, in a, a model of giving which is donor-focused, provided the charities give donors what they want, which is a, uh, a sense of well-being that they've done something, uh, then they're, they're not really required to, to publish that. So whether you, you create that market by uh, having more, more rigorous regulations which say, okay, you have to publish uh, you know, the effectiveness and you have to have an RCT or something like that, uh, which is probably improbable, or whether you just uh, were to set up sort of a, a private market, um, a betting market, something like that, uh, which, uh, yeah, charities have to compete on that. I don't know what that would look like. I mean, probably that's a question for, for you as an, uh, you know, someone with an economics background. Uh, but it's, it sounds plausible that that could be a way that you could uh, start to filter these things out. I think you'd need a lot more charities wanting to do this. Uh, so at the moment, uh, the, the, the constraint doesn't seem to be that we have all cause areas filled with, with heaps of charities. It's that uh, we have, uh, yeah, like the, the, there are just a very few charities that we think uh, meet this bar. But maybe if you provided the right incentives, uh, that would encourage more people to, uh, to get on board and um, to, to enter that market. So yeah, it's, it's a tough question, I think, though. Yep. Okay. Oh, oh, we only have. Okay. No worries. All right. I, I, I'm on a panel on global poverty tomorrow. So if there are more questions, uh, then ask me that there or uh, feel free to come up to me and ask them. But yeah, thank you. That is